Our first reading this morning comes from the closing passages of uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians, uh, chapter 4. I'll be reading from uh, verse 7 through to verse 10 inclusive. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant of the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who was one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. There is the passage, and that's the word of the Lord. If you could look with me again to uh, the book of Colossians. I'm going to be reading from Colossians chapter 4 and picking up from our reading at starting at verse 11. So that's Colossians chapter 4. And starting at verse 11, let's hear from God's word. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Heropolis. Our dear friend Luke the doctor and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains, and grace be with you. Well, friends, as we look at uh, Paul's parting words here, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your wonderful word, and we thank you for your wonderful Holy Spirit who opens up your word to us so that we might hear it, understand it, and obey. We pray, Lord, your wonderful Holy Spirit would be doing that work in us now. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Friends, we come to our final week in this inspired letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians while holed up in jail. And although us Olverstonians weren't the intended recipients God willing, you've heard God speak to you as we've gone through it. And so like the Colossians being taught, encouraged, rebuked and spurred on to live the new in Christ life. But now as we see from the heading below verse 6, Paul now switches gears to bring his letter to a close. But as we also saw, Paul's close takes a little longer than usual. Flip back to uh, the Philippians letter, a letter Paul also wrote from jail. And there he simply says this at the end. 
Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The, pro- the brothers who are with me send their greetings. And that's it. But not here. As Paul now takes the time to steadily go through these brothers, one by one by one. And as he does this slowly and methodically, the big question, of course, is, is why? Why mention nine names before you finally get to yours, Paul? What's the thinking? What's the intention here? Well, although I can't point you to chapter and verse, having had a good hard look at this letter with you over the last seven weeks, I have a hunch, a pretty good hunch, I feel, as to why Paul does this. Now, friends, remember the reason Paul put ink to parchment in the first place. Remember why he was burdened to remind and assure this church that they as believers are holy and dearly loved by God. That's right, a small group was meddling with that truth, weren't they? Teaching not holy and dearly loved, but if you want to be, well, here's your list, your big, long list of do's and don'ts. And so in comes Paul with this awesome letter to remind them that they are actually already in Christ. But friends, Paul also knows once his letter has been read out, this this posse of of heretics with their religious demands are still going to be there. No way they'll simply wave the white flag, pack up their fine-sounding arguments and go on home. If only... But yeah, it's not going to happen. And because Paul knows that's the case, he does not want to leave this group of new believers with just a letter, just a piece of paper to look to, but a new group for them to look up to. To put it in the words of Colossians 3, he's seeking for them to replace this old bad peer group with this new good and godly group group and so in closing instead of simply signing off Paul takes some time to name some names that this church might switch their gaze from the fake to the fair dinkum and so follow them as they follow Christ and friends although this godly peer group are now long gone the influence they can have, thanks to Paul's words here, certainly remains. So rather than simply racing through these names, which we often do, let's take some time and consider each one, that we might see how the words of this great book were written into these men's lives and so be encouraged to do the same. Paul's list begins in verse 7. Have another look at it. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. Now, friends, I think you would agree that is high praise. And as we hear that praise, we might ask, is Paul slightly exaggerating here? After all, who's Tychicus? Never heard of him. Well, friends, if you're thinking that, let me introduce you to him now. Tychicus, as we see here, is the bloke 
entrusted with Paul's letter. It was T's job, I'm going to call him T because that's just easier. It was T's job to take this letter from Paul's prison cell in Rome and deliver it safe and sound to the believers in Colossae. Having arrived, he was then to read it out and then as we see in verse 8, encourage the church in its application as well as fill them all in on how Paul is going in jail. Now friends, whether T knew Paul had written these kind words about him in the back of this letter, we're not sure. But I think what is pretty sure, when he got to verse 7, his feet would have started shuffling around just a little. Because you see, T didn't crave the limelight. Wasn't so good before a crowd. Which is why we don't know a whole lot about him. But Paul sure knew him. Knew him not just as a dear friend, but as a fellow servant. Because that's what Tychicus was. A servant. When there was a job to do, whatever that job was, T was there to put his shoulder to the wheel. He first shows up in Acts chapter 20, helping to look after and carry the tribute for months on end until it finally arrives to help out the believers in Jerusalem. And when Paul was holed up in jail and needed his letters to cross hostile ground to a church hundreds of miles away, there again was Tychicus, ready and willing to do that job. And so what we have here in this behind-the-scenes, no-frills bloke is a picture of genuine Christian service, willing to work, do good works, not before men to win their favour or for God's for that matter, unlike that other little group, but simply to please and honour the king who died to save him. If T could do something, anything, to serve his gracious, loving king and build up the body of which he was now a part, he was all in. Now what a contrast Tychicus must have been to the arms crossed, looking down their nose, Judaizers among them. As this Gentile believer walked in, grubby, tired, but smiling, full of the Spirit, full of God's love and love for this church. What simply could not be missed as he read Paul's letter out was here before them was a rock-solid example of Paul's letter. Someone who knows God's love knows his favour and love compared to someone who is trying to win it. So that's Tychicus. But T is not travelling alone. Verse 9, have another look. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Now, friends, here's a name that probably does ring a bell because Onesimus is the focus of another letter in our Bibles, and that, of course, being Philemon. You may remember the story. Onesimus, the slave, escapes Philemon's household. He then winds up in the same prison as Paul. 
They get talking and Onesimus, the runaway slave, is converted. Paul then convinces him that once released, he needs to return to his master Philemon in Colossae and fulfill his obligations to him. And so along with Tychicus, in walks this escaped thieving troublemaker. But as Philemon and the rest of the group gasp in astonishment and surprise, they quickly notice Onesimus's whole disposition has changed. He is quite literally a new man. The old, angry, difficult, shifty-eyed troublemaker, gone. And in its place, a person who is now at peace has peace. A peace that only comes in knowing the clean slate of forgiveness that comes from the true master. And so in this surprise entry, the Colossians have a second powerful physical example of the new in Christ man. Onesimus ran off a million miles away from God, but now has returned as his beloved child. What a moment it must have been as Tychicus read Paul's letter out and there's Onesimus listening on. A living picture for them all to see that the old to the new comes not by ticking off a big long list of do's and don'ts but through simple faith. Faith in the one who did the work. All the work for him. And for us, on the cross. So these two men, Tychicus and Onesimus, are Paul's first two examples of his letter to them. Indeed, living, breathing examples as it was read out. And then they fellowshiped and then they broke bread together. But Paul isn't ready to sign off just yet. No, there are other examples of the faith he wants this church to know about. Verse 10, have a look. My fellow prisoner Articus sends you his greetings. Aristarchus, sorry, sends you his greetings. Now, friends, as we read that, we might think, okay, well, what more can be said about this guy? Except that this believer is also doing time with Paul. Well, we can ask, why is he doing time with Paul? And friends, the answer to that is found in Acts chapter 19. We won't read it now, but this chapter records one of the biggest riots that broke out in response to Paul preaching the gospel. And as that enraged mob bore down on Paul, there were two men who stood by his side, taking the blows with him. And one of those blokes was Aristarchus. And so we have this this man who we know very little about, except that he stuck with his mate when the heat was on and now is doing time with him as a result. And all of this, what do we see? Well, friends, what we see is what the Bible writers called agape. If you haven't heard that word before, it means sacrificial love. And the first century church 
distinguished itself from Roman society by showing it toward one another in spades. Why? Well, we know why, don't we? Christ's agape love shown to them. And having received it, they are inspired to show the same. And so we have Aristarchus, a great example to the Colossians of this, in contrast to the self-loving, me-focused Judaizers. Who do we look more like in our friendships, in our relationships? Aristarchus or the Judaizers? Agape love. Do you know it? Do you show it? Verse 10, now in full. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Now, friends, Mark certainly needs no introduction, does he? Well known by all of us as one of the four gospel writers. But back then, he was well known for something else as well. Acts 15, verse 36. Have a listen. Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take Mark with them, but Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Now, friends, you've got to love the honesty of the Bible, don't you? It would have been so easy to wash over this little awkward incident. But no, we get it, warts and all. And it's clear from these warts and all verses, there was some serious tension between Paul and Mark. But sometime between that moment in Acts and the writing of this letter, Paul and Mark have got together, nutted things through and reconciled. And Paul wants this church to know this. Mark says hi. And if he visits, no sideways glances, please, welcoming him with open arms. So what does this mending of the divide with Mark tell this church and tell us? Well, straight up it tells us that our life in Christ doesn't stop us from having disagreements, sometimes sharp disagreements, just like the outside world. But while our old worldly self is driven to justify self and demonise others, when we are in Christ, his spirit sometimes drags us but certainly drives us to seek mending and reconciliation. For our Lord mended for us the greatest divide of all without us lifting a finger. And so Paul writes back in chapter 3, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Pray particularly about this, says Jesus. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. 
And so, friends, in Mark, in Paul mentioning Mark, urging this church to receive him as he has, we see a hallmark of true Christian fellowship. Forgiveness and reconciliation overpowering, trumping, bitterness and division. And as we hear this, see Paul encouraging this church to warmly receive Mark. It's worth asking ourselves, is there a brother or a sister that we are unwilling to receive? Do we have a spirit of the Judaizer who blacklists people who disagree with us? Don't toe our line. Or a spirit that welcomes the brother, the sister, even if we still disagree on certain things. So taking a breather, where are we at? What spirit-filled new characters has Paul committed so far to replace the old? Tychicus the servant, Onesimus the convert, Aristarchus the faithful friend, and Mark the reconciled companion. But Paul isn't finished just yet. He has some more names that put skin and bones on this letter being read out to them. Verse 11, have a look. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. So, okay, who is this Jesus Justice? Because this is the only place that he is mentioned. Well, the first thing we know that he, along with Aristarchus and Mark, are the only Jewish converts in Paul's group. And the second thing we know is he now goes by this new name, Justice. So what does justice mean? Well, as the name suggests, it means just, upright, true. Justice was a bloke who loved the truth and was prepared to follow it wherever it led. And so when we heard the truth from Paul, when he heard the truth from Paul, justice was all in. And as he was a Jew, that meant he was immediately persona non grata. Friends, family, reputation, finished, gone. So Jesus' justice says hi. And in mentioning him and his new name, Paul contrasts the true from the fake, the fed income Jewish convert with those compromisers among them who try and mix Judaism in with Christianity, keep a foot in both camps and so keep their worldly comforts and reputation. But what good is that? As Jesus the Christ says, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? Paul continues, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Heropolis. Now, friends, as we saw in the first week, Epaphras was the guy that got this whole church going, not Paul. 
But then in came those people and started saying, not him, us, follow us. And so Paul writes here, I vouch for him. And as he does, Paul pictures what a true shepherd looks like compared to a wolf in sheep's clothing. How can you tell the difference? Because Epaphras isn't a self-servant, but a servant of Christ, verse 12. That is, his teaching, rebuking, encouraging and training among you has one goal in mind. Not to put himself in the picture, but to get out of the way and point you to the chief shepherd. And friends, that is a great test of a true shepherd. When you consider a Christian leader, whoever that might be, when you look at them, listen to them and consider them, do they fade and Christ increase? Or does Christ fade and they increase? Who do you see? A bigger, better picture of Jesus or a bigger, better picture of them? I vouch for Epaphras, writes Paul, because he knows Epaphras magnifies Christ. He is always wrestling in prayer for himself No, for you, that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. Friends, these brief words are a reminder of what a true shepherd of the flock looks like compared to the wolf. This is a heads up for you guys and a warning for me and our elders as we minister, to minister like Epaphras. Simply put, if we are not seeking in our actions and prayers that you stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured, then chances are what we are doing is something closer to what the Judaizers were doing. May that never be. And so we come to our last two characters. Verse 14, have a look. Our dear friend Luke the doctor and Demas send greetings. Now, friends, just like Mark, Luke needs no introduction, does he? So what does Luke add to our picture here? Well, Luke is one of the best examples in the Bible of someone using his God-given secular talents for the kingdom. And of these, he had two. First, as mentioned, Luke's a doctor. And as he is with Paul, it's clear he is using his medical skills to keep this apostle's broken beaten body up and going and Luke's other ability was writing which is pretty surprising if you've ever read a doctor's script and so he devoted that school for the good of the gospel as well as we know penning not one but two orderly accounts for a friend of his called Theopolis so consider Luke writes Paul who could have easily used these great talents he had to store up treasures for himself. But now in Christ, he stores them up where rust and moth do not destroy. Which kingdom are we using our talents for? Finally, we have Demas. What can we say about him? 
Well, friends, not much if it wasn't for Paul's second letter to Timothy where he writes this. Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me. Now, friends, while it's true Demas is not mentioned here to serve as a bad example, what is true is in the course of time, that's what he became. An example of what happens if you don't heed Paul's words to continue in the faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 22. Now, friends, the life of Demas is a warning to us all to watch our life and doctrine closely. Because many things are going to come, big and small, to throw you, push you, pressure you, tempt you to return back to the world, as Demas did. And so in the providence of God, the last man mentioned In Paul's list is Demas, standing as a warning to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, so we stay firm to the end. So there we have it. Paul's letter backed up by seven living letters. Three Jews, five Gentiles. One runaway slave, one doctor, two delivery men, one pastor, one prisoner, one body. But as different parts, each in their own unique way, expressing the old to the new, the raised with Christ new life. There's your peer group to look up to, to replace the do this, do that old one, writes Paul. And with that he signs off. Actually, no, he doesn't. Before he does, he mentions one more name, doesn't he? Verse 17, have a look. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. Friends, in this urging from Paul to this man, we have our application as we finish this wonderful letter. I have given you this letter. An example after example of living letters. Now with the unique gifts and abilities, possibilities and availabilities, over to you. See to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. Let's close with Paul's great benediction in 3.15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, wonderful insight into that godly group, uh, so different in so many different ways.
but people who knew the new in Christ's life. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the richness of these verses, the examples it gives, and how different people all have different gifts and abilities. Our Heavenly Father, we recognise that that is also true in us. Help us not to despair about certain gifts that we may not have, but give thanks to you for the gifts and abilities and skills that you have given us. And help us, Lord, to use them to glorify the wonderful Lord Jesus who gave his life for us. Help us, Lord, to use them to build up your body. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.